Lord, thank you so much for the amazing salvation that you have given, the grace that was poured out from your veins for all who would believe and receive of the gift of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we proclaim you. We remember what you have done. And we look forward to the day in anticipation that you will come again to take your children home. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Today's reading is out of the book of 2 Thessalonians, chapters 1, verses 3 through 12. And it reads, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly. And the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you and the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that are enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all you who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, welcome to Rock Point. <laughs> Talking about the judgment of God. I know you're excited. You have your Bibles. Turn with me to the very end of chapter 10 of the book of Exodus, and we'll be looking primarily at Exodus chapter 11, the judgment of God. Uh, you know, that's not a very popular sub subject today, and the truth be told, uh, we're all about justice today, but we don't want to hear about judgment, too, especially if it has anything to do with us. Oh, don't get me wrong, we want to judge ISIS and terrorists, uh, we want to make sure Hitler gets judged, we want to make sure all those other people get judged, but the dividing line is us, okay? And what we do is we just want justice but not judgment. As a matter of fact, there's a new favorite verse in our culture from the Bible. Uh, you know, if I'd asked people about 30 years ago or even 20 years ago, what is the most well-known verse in all the Scripture, what would they have said? They would have said, John 3, 16. You notice you don't even see it that often in the football stadiums anymore. Or somehow the cameras are not showing anymore. But you know what the new favorite verse is? Judge not, lest you be judged. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. That's the verse that uh, atheists can quote to you today. All right? It is a very popular verse. And let me just say this. this we are not doing uh, the difference between judgment and being judgmental. Okay? The truth of it is the only one who can judge people's salvation, people's spirit, who in essence they are, 
It's Jesus, and that's exactly what the Bible teaches. But we do make judgments. That's not what this sermon's about, but we do make judgments every day. Uh, when we come up to a stop sign and we make a judgment whether we're going to go or stay, we make judgments about who our children are going to play with or, or what school we're going to go to or who our friends are going to be. We, we do make judgments, so uh, we understand that. But we're talking about a judgment in the place of someone who is the judge and who gives the final answer, and that's exactly what God will do. In our culture today, we believe in four different gods. Our culture in the United States, uh, matter of fact, there have been sociological studies on this. Some people believe in this God, the benevolent God. He's just loving and gentle, and he just wants to be sweet to you. He's kind of the grandfather God. He just wants to, be, he wants to spoil you rotten, and all these bad things that happen, he wish he could do something about it, but at the end of the day, he's just a sweet God or sweet man who only wants sweet things for you and would never even think of exercising any form of judgment. Then there's the second type of God, uh, and this kind of God is uh, basically what some people would look at, at the, the critical God, the God who can't wait to judge, and he only comes down on you when you do bad things, and he's watching. He's checking his list twice. He's going to see if you've been naughty or nice, and that's how it's going to be determined, okay? And we're all being naughty, and some are being naughty more, so you're going to really get it. That's how some people look at God. Others still, uh, matter of fact, it's a form of deism. They would say there was a God that created, but he is distant now. And he doesn't have any interaction with us. He's kind of set the clock in motion and he stepped back. And life is just going as it goes without any intervention of God. But the God of the Bible uh, that so often that we misplace and we misunderstand is the true God. These other gods are projection of our imagination. We, they are projections of the God that we think it should be. And that's called an idol. Oh, in the old days, they made them out of wood and metal. Now we just mentally make them. And we determine what, when God says something in Scripture that we don't like, we go, I don't, I don't agree with that part. That's not what my God does. And we start making up the gods of our mind. But the God of the Bible is this, is that he loved us so much that he suffered and died so that we might be forgiven so that we wouldn't have to face judgment. But he also is so holy, the Bible tells us, that he will judge, he will and must judge sin. And the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. So the God of Scripture is one of great love who opens grace and mercy to all who receive. But because of his holiness must judge sin unless our payment is paid, unless our sin is covered in the final analysis, there will be judgment brought upon us. The Bible clearly teaches that. We worry about judgment. But can I tell you, God is already judging today. Matter of fact, N.T. Wright, famous Bible scholar, says this about the judgment of God. The biblical doctrine of God's judgment is rooted in the doctrine of God as a good, wise, and loving creator who hates, who hates all that is evil, anything that defaces or distorts his creation, particularly his image-bearing creatures, man. If God does not hate racial prejudice, he is neither good nor loving. If he does not have wrath that he brings about about child abuse, he is neither good or loving. If God is not utterly determined to root out from the creation through his wrath and judgment, the arrogance that allows people to exploit, to bomb, to bully, to enslave one another, then he is not good nor wise. 
And here's what we can know, that God is already in the process. We want things to happen instantaneously. We want them to happen now, and we don't understand. I remember my son had an accident uh, when he was two years old. Uh, He was at the Wendy's, and he fell, and he hit his chin on the edge of the table. My wife called me hysterically. She said, there's blood everywhere. I said, all right, let's get to the emergency room. So we go, and it was pretty deep. The doctor looked at it, and he said, uh, I asked him, can you, can you glue that thing together? He goes, no, you can't glue that. And he said, we're going to have to do stitches. And he said, uh, I've got some cream here. I think uh, we'll deaden it a little bit. And I'm thinking, I don't think that's going to work very well. But he put that cream on there, and he started to put that knee through. And my son, I was holding him down. And I had to get my brother to come hold him down. And then they had to bring a nurse. And he was only two. And we're holding him. And he's going, Daddy, Daddy, please stop. Don't let them do this. Quit. Daddy, please make them stop. And he didn't understand. And he had to go through that ordeal. But you see, I knew that I was looking for the greater good. For that pain and that time, though it looked like I was doing nothing to prevent, though I had the power to drag him out of there, I was looking at the big picture, the long-term picture. And that's exactly what God is doing. He's looking at the eternal picture, the long-term picture. He's not just looking for today. And because he is good, he is the one who can judge and he is the one who must judge us today. So the Bible is true and right when it shows God as one of great love, but also as a God of judgment. Uh, Let's look here in just a brief review. Pharaoh's response to Exodus. We see Pharaoh, who has a hardened heart, who regards himself as a God, when confronted uh, what triggers the ten plagues, which triggers this catastrophic event, is when Moses comes to him and says, uh, the God of Israel, Yahweh, says, let my people go. Matter of fact, he starts off by just saying, let them go and worship. And Pharaoh says no, and he says this, he says, I don't know the Lord, so why should I obey him? And now God's going to answer who he is and why Pharaoh should obey him. And then in chapter 7, Pharaoh says he did not listen, and he turned away and went into his house. And then the third time we see in chapter 8, he asks Moses to go, but not very far. You can go just a little way, but plead with God for him. And then we see he told Moses that, you know what, we were wrong. We were wrong as Egyptians, and the Lord is right, to ask him to stop the hail. And so they stopped, God stops the hail. Then he confessed his sin when the locust came. And he said to Moses, ask the Lord to remove the locust. I, I, I was wrong this time. He literally says, I was wrong this time. And then he comes to this place where we are today in Scripture, where he tells Moses, don't come again or you will die. The darkness comes that exposes the god Ra, their great principal deity of the Egyptians, and he exposes Ra through his, uh, his divine act of darkness. And then we will see today the final plague. Now, the purpose of the Passover plague, we call it the Passover because the angel passed over all those who had uh, their homes marked by the blood of the Lamb. And there were a few reasons, there are at least four reasons. First of all, it was for the total defeat of the Egyptian gods, the total defeat of the Egyptian god. We see this in um, Exodus 12, 12, and we see it in numerous places, that God was, uh, he was confronting the gods of the world. Many of the Hebrews were worshiping, many of the people, as the Egyptians were assimilating people groups, they were teaching them to worship the gods of Egypt. And they were thought to be the highest and most powerful God. But God comes and confronts them. 
And I showed this a few weeks ago, but I think it bears repeating, and some of you aren't here. It was uh, Time Change Sunday, uh, and it was cold that day, and so some of you didn't come. I want to show you the Egyptian gods that were confronted. Uh, The first one we see here were the Nile gods. They would worship the Nile because the Nile was the lifeblood of the Egyptian culture. It provided the water, and it also provided the food and the soil as it would overflow and make the ground fertile. And happy was the god of the Nile that was confronted when the Nile was turned to blood. Then there was Heka or Hecht, the fertility god. That was the, the frogs were worshipped because it was believed that they could bring great fertility to their animals and to their families. And so that god is confronted. Then the lice god, um, Geb, Geb, the god of the earth. And he is confronted uh, as the lice come and as they invade the area. And his, that god is defeated and exposed. Then the fourth one was the fly god. Kepri, the god of flies, you see his head is kind of made of a beetle. And he was worshipped because he was feared that they needed to appease Kepri, lest the flies and the beetles come upon them. So it was exposed that he had not power. Then this is Apis. Also there's Hather, the Hather who is, or, or Hathor, the, the goddess of protection. But Apis was the bull, uh, it was probably the bull that when the children of Israel were before Mount Sinai, that they bring about and they worship. It was believed that when a Pharaoh would die, he would enter in to the heart and the spirit of a bull. And so Apis was especially worshipped in, um, in the, uh, during, during the Egyptian culture and during the Egyptian reign. Matter of fact, um, it was such a significant God, and so many worshipped him, that we'll see in a moment that when God makes the cannon, he's going to say, and the firstborn of the cattle. Why was it the firstborn of the cattle? It was the firstborn son and the firstborn children and also the firstborn of the cattle. Because who did they worship? Particularly a bull's first son. It's first male, uh, well, a bull's male. The first bull that would, be, that would come, they would typically say that was an especially great God. And so you see the judgment upon him. The sixth one is the boils. And the physician got an Imhotep and Isis. Some of you remember Isis from your earlier days as a child. Uh, the physician god and the goddess of medicine who could not help them. Seven, the next god, hail, nut, the sky goddess. All that would come from the sky, all the weather that would come from the sky. It was believed nut was, had power all over all rain and all hail in all items that would fall from the sky. The locust god, another god that was to be appeased. Seth, the god of the crops, uh, that, that the crops might be fertile and might be protected. They would pray to Seth, and Seth is confronted and defeated. And then in the ninth one, Ra, the chief god, the, the sun god. Uh, he was believed to be the chief of the deities of, of uh, Egypt. Although there were many gods, he was the chief god. And darkness came about. The sun did not appear for three days until God spoke to Moses and returned the sun. And then today, the tenth one, the firstborn would be killed. Pharaoh, he was considered a god, and his first son would become the god at his death. And you see the confrontation that is transpiring and taking place right here. If you have your scriptures with you, let's look at those for just a moment, and we will continue to look at these plagues and at the judgment of God. In your Bibles, beginning in chapter 10 and beginning with the 28th verse, Pharaoh said to him, speaking to Moses, get away from me. 
He's announced the plague, and the darkness has come, and now he's telling him, get away from me. If I see your face again, you shall die. And Moses said, as you say, I will not see your face again. And then chapter 11, it, it appears that, that Moses stays right there in the courts. He's not, he doesn't immediately leave because God gives him this revelation. As a matter of fact, the Hebrew writers, uh, I am reading a, a particular Hebrew theologian and commentator because it is the Old Testament here and gaining background. His name is Abraham Sarna. And Sarna has a lot of insights historically that he draws from historical Jewish documents uh, that might help us a little bit to understand this passage. And uh, in this sense, he said this is a parenthetical statement and that this is all to be taken in one, one situation and in one setting. And the Lord said to Moses, Yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh, upon Egypt. Afterwards, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Now, this has already been prophesied that they're going to leave. It's also, going to be, it's also been prophesied that they're going to leave with riches, and that's what's going to transpire. And you see it repeated here again. Speak now in the hearing of people that they ask, every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. In other words, the Egyptians are going to give them a parting gift. You could look at it as a payment for all the slave labor that they've done as they're leaving. And of course, we know how did the Israelites build the calf? How did they build the tabernacle? How did they build uh, the Holy of Holies? Well, it probably would have come from the items that was given to them, that were given to them by the Egyptians. We continue, and the Bible says, uh, and the Lord gave the people favor in sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was great in the land of Egypt and in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. The people are now hearing Moses' voice and they realize that their gods cannot stand up against the God of Moses, against the God of Israel, against Yahweh. And they recognize that very clearly. And the Bible says in verse 4, So Moses said, Thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt will die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne, even to the firstborn slave girl who is behind the, the, the hand mill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. Now, if you flipped over to verse 12, chapter 12, verse 12 and 13, it says, For I will... I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. But man and beast, on the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. We talked about that a while ago. I am the Lord, and the blood shall be a sign for you on the house where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will fall or destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So right here we see that this final plague is coming, and it's going to be the one that uh, the people literally say, get out, just leave. <laughs> Here are gifts, just go. We see the superiority of your God. We know that your God is the true God. Just leave, just get out. And Moses tells him, says, look, if you don't apply the blood of the lamb to your doorposts, then the firstborn will be killed of all people and of all cattle. In verse 6, the Bible says, there shall be a great cry through all the land of Egypt. Now, that word great cry, that's the same term that's used when Herod 
killed the babies in Matthew. It's also the same term that was used when uh, Pharaoh gave the edict. And some historians say it happened at least a couple of times where he commanded that all baby boys be killed, be murdered, be thrown into the Nile. And there was a great cry. And the Bible also, um, or excuse me, Mahita, one of the other Jewish scholars, says that uh, from historical uh, events that have been passed down, that many of the other groups, people groups there, were turning the babies in, and they were ridiculing the Jews. So that was one of the reasons that they were finding these babies, one of the reasons that Moses had to be hid. So now we see the judgment being turned upon the other people, upon those who have been causing death and destruction and harm. But they are being warned of what is to come and what must, trans, uh, what, what must occur. And the Bible says in verse 7, But not a dog shall growl against any of my people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. In other words, as they're leaving, not even a dog will bark at them. And, and all of these, you, your, all of your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. And he went out from the Pharaoh in hot anger. He goes out in hot anger because he has warned Pharaoh. He has told Pharaoh. And yet Pharaoh has said, no, no, no. And now he's saying, don't ever come here again. Moses has given the edict. He has given the prophecy. He has given the instruction. And Pharaoh chooses not to obey. Pharaoh still is hanging on to his form of godness. And God will bring this plague about. And as we talked about a while ago, the total defeat of the Egyptian gods will occur. Not only the total defeat of the Egyptian gods, but the final act that compels the Egyptians to free the Israelites. The third thing is that will happen is God's judgment on the Egyptians for the oppression of slavery and death and the destruction of the Israelite people. And this judgment is also an act of sovereignty and grace so that all will know that he is the one true God. That's kind of hard for us a lot of times, but Chris Wright, who's a noted theologian, tells a story of when he went to India, and one of the men that he met there, one of the pastors he met there from India, told the story of how he came to know Jesus Christ. He said he was part of the Dalit. Uh, That's the low caste system in India. There's the high caste Hindu system, and the lowest of the low are the Dalit. They're not even able to um, cover their chest. It's, uh, they are deemed as unworthy and as punished in that system by the gods. And so because they are the Dalit, uh, they often had, uh, this gentleman often had his land taken. They had their family property taken. They lost their home. Uh, anytime that they could come up with money, it would be taken from it. And they had nowhere to go with it. They were oppressed. But this young gentleman made it to school, and he went to college, and he always thought of his mind how he could get back at that, what he deemed, evil caste system, those gods that had never helped him. And he was a professor, and he, he thought about it daily. And one day as he was starting at a new school, uh, when he got to that school, the room he was saying there was a Bible there. And he had heard of the Bible. He knew it was the holy book of Christians. So he took it, and he began to read it. And he just happened to open it up to a spot in First Kings, and it was a story of Ahab, Abahab and Jezebel, where they determined to take Naboth's vineyard from him. 
They stole it from him. And so they had him killed. They had him falsely accused. They had him killed. And then they took his vineyard. And then uh, in Jezebel, this was primarily her idea, and Ahab went along with it. But then Elijah, the prophet, came and said, because of what you've done to Naboth, and now you're even taking his property, you are to be judged. And so Jezebel, we know, falls out of the window. Her servants throw her out of the window. She dies. And um, the Bible literally says that the dogs came and licked her blood. So she dies there. She's pushed out of the window. And then Ahab repents, but judgment still comes upon him. And his family will lose the, the, the lineage. And his family, will know, none of his sons will become king. And judgment is brought about on him as well. And as this Indian professor was reading this, he said, I'd never heard of a God who looks out for the marginalized who would bring and exercise judgment upon those who could make no difference themselves. And so he began to read and study the Bible and began to ask questions and eventually came to Christ. But God used an obscure Old Testament passage that sometimes as pastors we're even embarrassed to preach about judgment. You know why? Because we live in the Western world. Oh, again, we want to judge ISIS. We want to judge terrorists. But we don't know what it's really like. Most of us don't. There may be a few in our society. But most of us don't really know what it's like to completely have no voice, to be persecuted, to have everything taken away from you, and to be told you are nothing, you deserve nothing, and to have no place to take it. No legal system that will hear you. No voice, no media that would cover you. That's the picture right there. And God hates racial prejudice. God hates when we look upon others as less than we are, and he judges our heart. And if we lived in that spirit or in that situation, we would appreciate judgment so much more. The truth of it is we don't mind other people getting judged. We just don't want to be judged ourselves. Well, let's talk about this for just a moment. The judgment of God helps us to understand who he is, and it helps us to understand this passage that we've just read. No one is good enough to escape God's judgment. The Bible tells us, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so the Bible says it's appointed once to man to die, and then comes the judgment. Number two, the wages of sin is death, the Bible tells us, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. <clears throat> now, why is it such a severe offense when we sin against God? Well, help me, let me help you understand it. You know, <clears throat> if my son or daughter get in a fight at school and they punch somebody at school, then they'll get in trouble. And a matter of fact, they'll, they may get suspended. Now, if your let's use your son or daughter because I don't my my kids say why you always use us. Um, let's say your son or daughter punched a kid at school; they've got suspended. Now we have a couple of principals and a couple of administrators and teachers here. What happens if that child, when they go to the office, they punch the principal? They get expelled. Now they don't hit the principal any harder than they hit the other child, but they get expelled. The the consequence is bigger. What if when the police come to get that child, that child punches the police? Hmm. Now you get to go to jail. Are y'all, are y'all listening to this, children? Um, now, now you're going to put, be put in some form of uh, maybe reform school or prison or some place you don't want to be. 
Now what happens if when you get before the judge, you punch the judge? Now you're going to be in jail for a long time. What if you get out and you see the president one day and he comes along, you get him, you slug the president. They may shoot you or send you to prison for a long time. Do you see how the greater the authority of the person, the greater the penalty, even though it's the same crime? And that's the picture of the judgment of God, that he is holy, that he is your creator, that he is your father, and he has created you, and he is the most holy, the most high of all. And when we sin against him, it is worse than hitting the president. It is a picture of going, of hurting or seeking to injure the most great, the greatest uh, creator of all the world, the one who has created all things, the one who should be honored above all. God sees and always is at work in a suffering world. Though we cannot see it, like my son who is serving, though we don't understand it in the moment, we can know that God is always at work. And if we look at life, just like my son could only see that time in the operating room, and we only look at this, this segment of life, then we miss the picture that God is looking for eternity. Let me ask you this. Would you want to endure suffering now, or would you want to be a person who endures judgment forever? Because I believe firmly, guys, that this is not the end. This is the beginning. And that God is creating a new earth, a new life for all those who believe in him, that we will have eternal peace and joy, and that every desire in our heart that we have ever longed for will be given to us. Every righteous desire will be met. And for those who choose not to, then their sins will be judged for eternity. We can pray for our enemies and we can know that God, just as Michael read in the beginning, that God will bring vengeance upon all those who do evil. Salvation from judgment comes through faith by the blood of Christ. And here's how we know salvation. Because Jesus, the one who loved us so much, took upon him the sin of us all for all who would believe and transfer our trust in him. He would cover our sins and he took on our judgment because he lived the life that we should have lived and died the death that we should have died. Hey, this world is not the end. It's just the beginning. And that's good news if you have made Jesus your Savior, if you put your trust and your hope in what Christ has done. And it's bad news if you haven't because God says there is judgment. And you know who's going to judge? Jesus. That's why he's given us the gospel. He loved us so much that he gave himself that all who would believe might not perish but receive everlasting life. He took all the sin and guilt, all the judgment upon him. And that's good news unless you decide to reject it. But isn't it also good news that Jesus is the one who will judge us, the one who loved us so much that he died for us, which makes him just a supremely righteous judge. You didn't know Jesus was going to be the one that judges all mankind? Well, let me give you some scripture that tells us just that. Matthew chapter 16, verse 27. For the Son of Man, Jesus, is going to come with his angels in the glory of the Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. John chapter 5, verse 21 and 22. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. Acts chapter 10, verse 42. 
And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. Acts chapter 17, verse 31. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man, Jesus, he is appointed. And of, the, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. 2 Timothy 4.1 I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing, his kingdom. Revelations 22.12 Behold, Jesus is coming, bringing my recompense with him to repay each one for what he has done. In 22.20 he, he who testifies these things, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, come. So, What will be your response to Jesus today? The gracious and merciful God who must judge. You could do like Pharaoh. This is what your response could be. You could be in denial. I'm just denying it happened. I'm closing my eyes. You could dismiss it. You can postpone it and say, I'll I'll deal with that later. You can set limitations and say, Jesus, I'll, I'll do church, but don't ask any more of me. Lord, I... Yeah, I've done a couple things wrong. I'm sorry. We'll do partial confession or partial repentance. Lord, uh, forgive me. I'm going to try to do a little bit better. Or you can do like Pharaoh and just say, I reject it. I'm not going to hear it anymore. I'm walking away. What will you do with Jesus? Are you still worshiping a God that you've created with your mind, the way that you think he should be, the way that he should act? Or will you accept the God of the Bible, the God of love, but also the God of judgment. In 1976, Israeli commandos were setting up to do a covert mission where 103 Jews were being held hostage in Uganda, in a Uganda airport. And so they prepared, they got ready, they, they left. And when they broke in, uh, they were able uh, to, they killed all the terrorists. And of 103 Jews, only three of the Jews were killed. And it was interesting how they were killed. When they broke in, uh, of course, they spoke Hebrew. And they yelled out to to the other Hebrews, to the other Jews, they yelled out to them, every Jew lie on the floor, every Jew lie on the floor. And they said it in Hebrew. And you know how many of them lying on the floor, who got down on the floor? A hundred of them. But three of them looked around and they wanted to see who was saying that. They recognized the voice. They recognized the, the language, and they heard the instructions. But they wanted to see it, and they were killed with the terrorists because the terrorists didn't speak Hebrew. Today, God is speaking. He is saying there is one way to know salvation. There's one way to have your judgment covered. And you can say, well, I want to see. I, I, I want to see what else is out there. I want to consider other options, and I don't think I want a God of judgment. And if that's your take, it won't matter what you think. The only thing that will matter is the truth. Do you recognize that Jesus is the only one who has been given the power to judge and the power to save? And although he is loving and merciful, he will judge our sin if we don't accept him and receive his grace and forgiveness. What God are you worshiping today? Are you worshiping a God created by your human hands? Because we worship a God who is not created 
by human hands and not by our thoughts. The song says, you're not a God dependent on any mortal man. You're not a God in need of anything we can give by your plan. That's just the way it is. You are God alone, and before time began, you were on the throne. You are God alone, and right now, in the good times and in the bad, you are on the throne, and you are God alone. You're the only God whose power none can contend. You're the only God whose name and praise will never end. You're the only God who's worthy of everything we can give. You're God, and that's just the way it is. You're unchangeable, you're unshakable, you're unstoppable. That's who you are. Do you know the God of the Bible? Or are you projecting in your mind your own way, your own God? If you would, let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that while we were still sinners, you died for us. And thank you, God, that we don't have to create a God in our mind, our own idol. But, Lord, that we can worship you, the one and true God, the God of the Bible, the God of justice, and the God of love. Lord, I pray for any this morning have never come to the place where they recognize they're sinners and they need forgiveness. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Lord, that we would confess that and repent and say, God, we need you. Come into our lives and forgive us our sins, not because we deserve it, not because we're good enough, but because you are God and we believe and we put our hope and our trust in you. Save us, Lord. Come into our lives and be our God.